So let's talk about the word emuna. This word is usually kind of unfortunately translated as faith. And pretty much if you've been watching any of my other videos, you already know at this point that one of the things I like to do is sort of take words that we translate almost very in a very blasé kind of way, just casually translate in a certain way. And almost like from a place of just we're sort of like mentally asleep when we do, we don't really think so carefully about what the word really means in a more intensive way and just sort of throwing out translations. So the example I think I like to use the most is the word kadosh, which is always translated as holy for some reason. And then sometimes people like to go with the word separate. With the word emuna, so um, it's translated easily as faith because we all know that faith is one of these central concepts in the sphere of what we call religion. And since Judaism is a religion, that's how we tend to think about it. And we know that religion has to do with God, and God is something which you could only, we have to believe in it on faith. So therefore, the word, and the word Amunah means faith, so that's kind of like the way that it's usually structured. And if I could just start right away by sort of hacking away, slashing away at preconceptions like that. So let's just destroy pretty much all three of those premises at the beginning of this video, which is one is the word Amunah does not mean faith. And that's, we're going we're gonna to spend some time really proving that point. Um, a second point is that Judaism is not a religion, um, which we're going to explain what that means in some other context. So at some point there will be a video out called Judaism is not a religion, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And a third point that we're just going to make right now is that the concept of you have to have faith and belief in God is something which is super Christian and is really not what we, as people who live the Torah world life, the Torah perspective, the, to the truth the way the Torah describes reality, we do not operate with that idea that you have to just sort of believe in this invisible guy who, you're, if you don't believe in him, then you go to hell or some other, uh, you know, Christian permutation. So let's just um, start to analyze a little carefully, and then, you know, you can decide if you want to believe what I just said. I know that it probably comes across to some of you as a little bit controversial, um, but uh, just sort of something to, you know, you can think about it for now as we build this out. Um, I'll just mention uh, there's a very well-known in the cultural Jewish space, uh, you know, different writings made it very big, became famous in the Jewish space um, of our Torah writings. So it's, uh, you know, it's a popular popularization or pop culture of Judaism um, is where, you know, certain writings become more popular and known than other writings that are, you know, also very important. Um, and I'll just sort of mention that the whole, my whole goal with these videos is to try to bring knowledge uh, to the forefront, to the foreground of people's minds, and uh, knowledge which is usually simply not as popular, but it's still actual information. And so when you, that's the problem with learning things according to their popularity, you know, what's kind of more in, uh, what's taught more often in schools or in yeshivas, things that are taught more often, you know, it's not popular in the sense of like, you know, like pop culture when we think about it in terms of American culture, but it's popular in terms of Torah learning, which is like these are things that people tend to learn. So if you tend to learn certain books and you don't read lots of other books, you actually miss out on information. It's not that you miss out on nice ideas, you miss out on actual information. And so here's an example of a popular, uh, you know, set of writings, and that's really uh, the Rambam has this uh, this long list of things that you're supposed to be ma'amin in them. Um, you have to have, you're supposed to be ma'amin that, that there is Hashem, and this, he gives a whole list of different things. If you go through the list of things that you have to be ma'amin according to the Rambam, so you'll find actually that uh, about five of them are actually redundant and are the same thing, which needs to be analyzed. Why would he write it that way? But the funny thing is, though, he uses the word ma'amin. He says you have to be ma'amin all these things. And the word ma'amin is actually exactly the same word as the word emuna. So it's the word emuna, the, the shoresh, the root of emuna is 
Aleph, Mem, Nun, those are the three letters. And so when you are Ma'amin, so you know, if you say that the word Emunah means faith, so then when you say, say Ma'amin, you translate that as I believe. So I believe, Ani Ma'amin Be'emunah Shlema. I believe with uh, complete faith. That's how it's usually translated. And now we are going to try to analyze the word a little more carefully and see what it really means, because I think you'll see that when you understand what the word Emunah means properly, it will start to change your relationship with the actual, you know, what we call the belief system. Uh, or the idea of believing in, in Hashem or in God or whatever you'd like to call that. So it's really, you could view this, video, this, this, whole, this whole set of ideas really as the beginning of the undoing of the Christian perspective on Hashem, on God, and on religion, and on Judaism. So let's just sort of start uh, with the way that I usually analyze any word in the, in the Hebrew language is that we look in the Torah, for the word itself, and then all the different permutations of that word. Because if you have a root, Aleph, Mem, Nun, and you can find that the root actually is manifest in a lot of different ways. There's like, it shows up as the word Emunah, which is the classic word, you know, people translate as faith. And then it shows up in lots of other forms, which still use those same three letters, but they're sort of permutated in a different way. And then you can start to get a sense of, well, what's the nuance of that permutation? And then if I can sort of get to the root of that permutation and then sort of see it in this way over here and in this way over there, you sort of get to a sense of the core, almost the distilled meaning of the word. It's what I call cross-check analysis. You have multiple examples of something that are slightly different. So when you bring them all together and contrast them, you can get kind of like the common denominator of all the different permutations to get a sense of the real meaning of the word. So let's just use the first, just to start off, the word emuna. so one of the places it shows up in, uh, in the Torah is in Parshas Bishalach. And there you have a story, it's at the very end of Parshas Bishalach, um, in, in Sefer Shmos, where you have Moshe is, uh, Moshe and Bnei Israel are sort of, they're, uh, they're, they just left Egypt relatively recently, and they suddenly enter into war with this nation called Amalek. And not to go into too in depth who that nation is, but basically when they're fighting with them, so the Torah describes how um, they send a leader out with a bunch of a bunch of soldiers. You know, we meaning we send a leader out with a bunch of soldiers, and they engage Amalek in war. And then the Torah says that Moshe, who's you know he's the leader of the whole people, he stands on this mountain, and then he has his hands up towards the sky. And when his hands are up, so then the Torah describes how um, um, Bnei Israel are are able to you know, begin to uh, win over against Amalek, and his hands are down, then he, they start to fail, and basically it describes how his hands are very tired, because, you know, you can't, you gotta hold your arms up in the air for, you know, 10 hours, so it gets tiring, so it says then the two people that come and hold his arms, they help him to hold them up, and then it uses this phrase, it says, Vayhi yadav emunah ad bo hashamesh, and you see Moshe's hands are emunah until the sun set. So basically he was able to keep his hands up for all those hours because of those people helping him, and then his hands were emunah until the sun sets. And that's a very strange way to use the word emuna because how do you exactly do you translate that phrase, right? Like Moshe's hands are faith uh, until the sunset. So you might want to say, well, maybe what it means is Moshe's hands were a source of faith. In other words, when Moshe's hands were up towards the sky, so then, you know, B'nai Israel believed in, in God. They were like, oh, you know what? I actually think there is a God. I now believe in him. And uh, since I believe in him, so now I'm going to maybe fight harder. Or because I believe in him, so God will reward me with his support and extra strength. And now I will win against my enemies. And, you know, that's, that's usually the way I think people tend to just gloss, gloss over the phrase a little bit and sort of translate it that way. You have faith in God there. You, believe, you decided to believe that he exists. So then now he's going to reward you in that way. 
Note, by the way, that is exactly the way that Christian theology kind of operates. As long as you believe in the Savior, then he can help you out. But if you don't believe in him, well, then you're pretty much on your own. So that is a very classic, you know, type of assimilated perspective and translation on that sentence. So we're going to start with that. I'm going to put that into the mix. Here's the phrase. The word emuna shows up right there. I want to just draw your attention to two other usages of the phrase. Maybe, even, well, let's, maybe we'll do three even. The first one is actually in Megillus Esther. Miguel Esther, you have this story where it describes that uh, there's this, this guy named Mordechai and there's a girl named Esther and Esther seems to be Mordechai's uh, niece and he basically, he, her parents died and so he is raising her as his own daughter. That's what the, the text describes there. And so you look at that, that, that area and what you'll see is the following phrase shows up. It says, Vaihi omen es hadasa hi Esther bas dodo. Um, and basically it's saying that Mordechai is omen Hadassah, who is Esther, the same person. She has no father and no mother. And so he is Omein her. And so when you look at the word Omein there, and you're like, well, what exactly does that mean? It says that she has... So if you, if you just had to read that and had to plug in an English word into the blank space where the word Omein is, so you'd say, he He is Omeining her, with the blank space right there. Um, she's Esther. Bas Dodo, that's the, the daughter of his, of his aunt. Um, because she has no mother and no father. Um, so it's like, well, what's he doing then? Like he's being omain her. That's the verb that's there. So if you just you know try to think of a bunch of different options, usually if I teach this in a class, then I get I ask people to just throw out ideas. But inevitably people say, oh, well, the word seems to mean to, he, he's raising her, right? He's raising her as a daughter. So, or he's replacing, he's filling the role of her parents. They're not there. So he is doing that role, which we'll just translate for now as he's raising her. So we have the word omain there. And the word omain, he's raising her. And so now we have emuna, which we don't really know what it means in that context, but translate maybe as faith, as we like to translate it. We have omain, it's raising her as a child. And then let's bring it, let's now do a, a third example for a second. So I want you to just look at a different Hebrew word, which shows up also in the Tanakh, which is the word uman. So the word uman, not to be confused with the location uman, which recently became very weirdly a popular place to go on Rosh Hashanah. Um, so uman actually means to be a craftsman. If you are an uman, you are someone who is, you have some kind of craft that you are very skilled at, whether it's metalwork, whether it's, uh, you name your different kind of craft, construction, but you basically have this skill that you learned an expertise to create something. You're able to take raw materials and convert them into some higher, more organized state. That's what a craftsman does. So that is the word uman. Uman is a craftsman. So now we have three words. You have the word emuna with Moshe's hands. We have the word omain, which seems to mean to raise a child. And we have the word uman, which means to be a craftsman. And like, you know, sort of looking at this map here of these three words, like what do these words even have in common? Are they in any way related to each other? <clears throat> so let's go a little further. And let's, let's pick another one. How about the word ne'eman? If you are ne'eman, what exactly are you? The ne'eman metim. Hashem, you are ne'eman to raise to raise uh, the dead back to life, to bring people who are dead, whose consciousness has been detached from their bodies. You you are you are ne'eman to reattach that to their bodies. What does it mean to be ne'eman? Talk about Hashem. If I said that, if you, if you said like, well, you know, we are all kind of desperate for people who's, who have been detached from their bodies to be returned and we're saying about Hashem, well Hashem, you're Naman to take care of that, you're going to do that. Like, What would you fill in the blank there? So I think if you think about it a little bit, you'll see, well it sounds like what it's saying is that you are reliable. Hashem, you are re we can count on you to actually do that. We can count on you to actually bring 
the the consciousness of those people back in contact with bodies and they will then be able to be here again we can ex experience them in this setting again and be with those who we love as, as we once were so Hashem is Neman he's reliable that's you know what that word seems to mean and we can go you know we can kind of keep going there's, there's really a lot of these um, we'll just do maybe one more here's a funny one uh, the word Amen what does the word Amen mean right it's like you say you say some statement like you say uh, I hope you have uh, you make a million dollars in your business and the other person is supposed to say back amen to your bracha right you're giving them a bracha of some kind you're trying to, to you're trying to basically um, convey to them the sense that there will be a in, an influx of more of something the more that they want here is money so you're saying I, you know, I hope you have an, an influx of, of financial gain and they still say amen what does what does amen mean it sounds like it means I agree you know like or yes or uh, confirmed or like what what does that word mean so here you know this, here's our here's our, our array of words there's actually even more if you can imagine you can find more than this one of them in Parshas Hazinu for those who are curious there where it says banim lo emun bam is a good one but there's really there's a number of other ones. Uh, the word ma'amin, also we already mentioned when the Rabbim writes, ani ma'amin, I believe. So what, is, what does ma'amin mean? Also, all of these permutations. Let's see if we can sort of take all of them and sort of dig down to the deepest root of what these things are. So I would like to just start off to, by suggesting the following. Uh, I want to just sort of look at the, at the uman word for a second, which is the craftsman, just to sort of think about that carefully. An uman, a craftsman, what they do is, when the Torah describes, or when you see in halacha an uman when he's described, so what they do is, and really anyone who's ever been a craftsman knows how craft, you know, crafting anything works, is that what you first do is you have some kind of an idea, a vision of some kind inside of your mind of what it is that you would like to actually have in the, in the end, the resulting product you're trying to create. This, inter this internal uh, picture or idea and the more, and then you flesh it out. You have to. The more you flesh it out and plan it out, so the easier it is to then translate that accurately when you're actually doing the work. When you don't plan properly in the initial phase, then you have, you start having problems with the actual execution in the in the external phase. When you're actually putting the thing you're trying to create into the outside world. So that's why you know you people draw blueprints and you have diagrams and these are attempts to try to take that vision and flesh it out as fully as possible so you can get it to where it really needs to be for the actual execution process to make it real. So think about that for a second, what, that, what, what an Uman is doing. So he has this internal vision, and then he's trying to make it as concrete as possible so he can essentially uh, externalize that and express that out into the tangible world in a way that is actually expressing his internal vision. He wants to make that the internal ideas are now exactly manifest in the external space. So that's, that's the process of an Uman. So let's just go, let's just go into some of our other examples. Do we see any parallel dynamics in some of these other words that we had? So let's think for a second. Well, we have the word omain, which is, we said, to raise a child. So if I'm omain a child, what am I really doing with a child? When you raise a child, you know, I'll, I'll use a word that can be a little, a little uh, negative connotation because it sort of seems like it uh, disempowers a child, but it's actually a pretty, uh, pretty clear, you know, clear word to describe the process. What you're really doing is you are indoctrinating the child. You know, whether you like it or not, when you raise a child, what you are doing is you are inserting into the child an array of ideas, principles, and perspectives about life. What's crazy and underratedly crazy and kind of sad in many situations is that that's what you're doing no matter what if you are raising a child. But of course, you might be indoctrinating and inserting an array of principles, ideas, and perspectives that are actually false. 
right? Because no one's, it's, it's, it's not like there's a, there's a filter there for a child. Ch children can't be like, oh, only indoctrinate me with true ideas. They can't do that. So if you have false ideas about reality, if you're lacking in information, if you only learn whatever the popular trends are of the time, whether they're Torah popular or they're secular culture popular, so you're just going to give over a warped and distorted perspective to a child if you do it that way. So something to do with the truth that you're giving them, it's really just about the fact that you have the capacity to insert to indoctrinate, to insert an array of perspectives and principles and ideas into the child. That's what you do when you raise a child. In fact, that's pretty much the main thing that we describe when we say raising a child. There's obviously sort of like minor elements, like you have to provide food so the child doesn't die, and you have to like take care of the child's hygiene. But besides that, the rest of the real actual bulk of what we call raising a child is that process. And so the word omain it seems to be describing if I, I'm just gonna I'm just thinking out loud here for the purpose of you know sort of showing you my thought process the word domain seems to be describing the uh, insertion of a perspective of reality into the child's um, you know mind to, and that perspective that you insert into their mind they will now live in a way that is expressing that perspective so if you indoctrinate your child with the perspective that other people are scary and dangerous that child will then live out that script in a way that is very you know protective all oh, the people are scary i can't you know I, I can't talk to people or i can't make phone calls or i'm not sure what's going to happen people are threats that's them living out that script so you're essentially inserting the script and then they live in a way that is loyal to that script they simply live that out until they eventually learn by becoming self-aware enough they can learn that they have that script then they can try to rewrite it and change some of the indoctrination but you know until they do that they essentially live out whatever script you prime them with so being omain a child seems to be putting in a script into a child's mind that then they will live loyally to that script as long as they are not aware of its presence and are unable to actually change it until they become self-aware of the script itself. So let's take those things. We have Uman, we have Omen, we have Omen so far in our two examples. Let's go a little bit further. So what about the word um, the word Naaman? So when we say that Hashem is Naaman, he's reliable, right? That means we can count on him to uh, bring back those who we miss and those who we love who have become detached from their bodies. When we, he is Naaman in that way, we can we can we can lean on that. So what that means is when someone is reliable, what does that mean? It means that we can we can look at them and say, oh, this person is loyal to this. In other words, this thing that I want, I want these people to actually be able to come back to life. I, I lived in connection with them. I have a relationship with them. And then I miss them now that they're gone. And Hashem is Naaman to that. So what does it mean he's Naaman? He's reliable to that, to that to that need of them being brought back. He's Naaman, we can rely on him to bring people back to life. It means that I can trust in him. He is loyal to my need. He's not gonna just abandon me. He's loyal to me in this thing that I need. And you think about that carefully, like if there's something that you, that you need from someone that you love and they betray you and they don't actually provide that for you, so then they're not being loyal to you. So here Hashem is actually, he's reliable, he is loyal. You can actually count on him to be there to take care of this problem for you. He is reliable for that. That's what the word Naaman seems to mean. So look at all these, you know, these different, uh, these different, these three different permutations. And I think what you start to see is a little bit of a pattern. So I want to sort of, you know, before we sort of tie this into the other words, I just want to sort of show you what I think is a very clear definition of the root of Aleph Mem Nun. And that definition, essentially, we can translate it. If we, I'll give a, a nuanced sentence. And then there's like basically one word that sort of captures that, I think, as best as possible in one word. And that is, I think the word emunah, the, the, the root aman or aleph memnun, literally refers to 
having an internal vision of some kind that is then expressed externally in a way that is loyal to the internal vision. In other words, you, are, you have an external vision that is loyal to an internal vision or external, an external action, let's say, or an external way of being that is loyal to an internal vision of some kind. So I want you to think about that a little carefully. The simple trend, one word is just the word loyalty. Loyalty, I think, is the, is the easiest one. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna pick a word to translate the word Amuna as, don't say faith, say loyalty. And that's because what we're saying here is that if you look at all the different examples, so an Uman is someone who has an internal vision and he's trying to create an external manifestation of that uh, that is loyal to the internal vision, right? That's what he's doing. He's trying to make a product that is now completely loyal to that internal uh, you know, framework or perspective or map that he has. So now he's an Uman, that means he is he's essentially is a, he's a loyal creator to the vision. So, and we talk about the word omain, so what you're doing is you're essentially um, giving your, you are now, when you're omaining somebody, you're like, you're filling them with an amuna process. So what that means is you are basically programming them, you are inserting the ideas, and they're going to live in a way that is loyal to that omanut, to that om omaning that you did for them when you, when you inserted all those things. So now they are going to uh, live in a way that is completely loyally expressing that programming. And with Hashem also, when Hashem is Neman, that means that now you can count on him to be loyal. That, here it's a little interesting because here you have an internal vision and someone else is going to manifest it for you. So you have a relationship of loyalty going on where there's not just you being loyal on the outside to your internal vision on the inside like an Uman. Here you have Hashem, who is an outside of you, who is now going to be <coughs> loyal to your internal vision that you want to be reunited with those you love, and Hashem is going to now be uh, loyal to that by actually going and expressing it. So he is Naaman. He's someone that you can now trust to be loyal to you. So that's the conjugation Naaman means that he's reliable in that sense. So if we take that, that understanding of what the word means, let's just go a little further for a second. Well, what about the word Amen? When you say Amen, if I say to you, you know, I hope you have uh, tremendous financial success, and you say Amen, what exactly do you mean when you say the word Amen? I like to just put this out there, just think, think about this. It seems like what you're saying is that you are, you're saying affirmative, like I confirm that, I affirm that. In other words, what you, when, when I say that to you, what you're trying to do when you say I'm in is you're saying, I am now affirming the idea of that for myself. I am saying to myself, yes, I want to open myself to the possibility that I will actually have a tremendous influx of financial success in my life. So when, so when I wish that towards you and you say amen, you are now trying to open yourself up towards receiving the possibility of that actually being true. So let's go a little further with that for one second. I mean, for those of you who are familiar, there's a concept, uh, it's a, kind of like a meditative concept of something called affirmations. And affirmations are where you essentially say certain things to yourself. You try to essentially program your mind. Just like being omen, a child, you try to add ideas or perspectives into your mind about what you, about what reality actually is that are not currently natural to you. You know, so, sometimes we some of us live with it, what's called a scarcity mentality, where you simply believe that you're never going to have what you want. There isn't enough in the world to go around. There's a tremendous amount of lack and scarcity, and you know, I'll never be happy. I'll never have everything that I ever want or or dream of or need. So that's a very scarcity orientation, and so that's a perspective which is you know it's it's, it's inaccurate. It doesn't it doesn't mean that you'll always have what you do want, but to just be convinced of a fact about the future that you will never have what you want. There's no way to know that that's actually true, that you'll never have what you want. So 
Well, so an affirmation would be to sort of like try to rewire your thoughts to not think that way anymore and to actually think that it's possible that I will have what I want. If I'm going to think about anything, I may as well think the, think the best. Why should I think, why should I constantly assume the worst when I don't know the future anyway? Why choose to think negative thoughts when I could just easily think positive thoughts or even better, I could think true thoughts like, well, if I try really hard and I open myself, myself up to the possibility of success, then maybe success will pour into my life. And so that's a principle in the Torah. It's called his oros milamata, that when you open your mind to possibilities down in your life, it allows Hashem to sort of flow into those spaces and fill your life with things that you want. And it's a much longer discussion to talk about how that fits with tefillah and what tefillah is, and that's those who want to learn more about that, check out the tefillah videos that are on the, on the channel. But for our purposes right now, when you say amen, what you are saying is you're saying, I am affirming the idea of what you are saying. You're wishing upon me, you know, tremendous influx of, of financial success or, or family-related success, have, having more children or whatever it is that you seek and that you want. So I'm wishing that upon you. When you say amen, you are saying, I affirm the possibility of that great, you know, that, that, in, that, that moreness, that influx of, of growth into myself. And I'm trying to make myself actually start to, you know, impregnate my mind with that idea and open myself, myself up to that possibility to allow it to then flow in. That's what amens are. They are, affir they are affirmations, so, or they are agreements to an affirmation. So we'll just do one more here, which is the word ma'amin. When you say ani ma'amin, that's, that's literally affirmation language. Amen is basically like the response to an affirmation. If I say to you, I hope that you have an influx of, of you know, financial success, and you say amen, so I'm the one who's creating the affirmation, and you're now turning it, like I'm the one who's making the, giving the, the bracha type comment, and you turn it into an affirmation, sort of like, you know, you're converting it by saying amen. But if you yourself say to yourself, I, I affirm that this is the reality of how things are, I affirm that I can, I can receive uh, success in my life. I affirm that I can have growth in my life. I affirm that I can find happiness in my life. So then that's an anima amin. And so that's what the, what the words actually mean. And this has tremendous implications for what the Ramah was talking about that I mentioned in the beginning. It talks about that you have to be ma'amin, that, Hashem is, that, there's, that there's only Hashem in the world. And it's, what that's talking about is really the, the deepest meaning of emunah, which is where we're going to talk and go right now. So let's just sort of like, let's just bring our, ourselves back to the ground. That's all of our analysis of the words. And so if we go now to the word emunah itself. So the word emunah usually has some kind of, there's, there's an object and a subject sort of. It's kind of like, like I said, there's an internal vision and there's an external way of being that is loyal to the internal vision. So when we talk about emunah usually, when we talk about it meaning faith in God, here's what we really are saying and what we're referring to in Torah literature. We're talking about emunah ba'ashem. Emunah ba'ashem means we are talking about being loyal to Hashem in a certain way. You see, when we first encountered Hashem, so Hashem essentially impregnated our minds with a certain perspective of truth of reality. You know, if you have a perspective of reality that there's something called God, and he's a guy in the sky, and there's you, and you're over here, and he's over there, and there's a whole world, and like, you know, you just hope that he gets involved sometimes, that is not a Torah perspective. That is a lack of emuna, and I'll, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. You are not being loyal right now to the truth, and I'll show you how exactly what I mean. See, what, what when Hashem gave us or encountered us at Har Sinai, and, and also the, you know, the people before that, Avram and Yitzchak and all our great-great-great-grandparents. So he exposed us to a perspective of truth that was far broader and far more real than any idea like there's a guy in the sky. In other words, there's a whole vision 
a map of reality that was put into your mind and into your heart and into you know whatever those words mean and are it's now that's the perspective of reality that you were impregnated with and then the question is just now do you live on the outside in a way that is loyal that expresses in a loyal way that internal vision of truth that you were given now, what the funny thing is, for most of us, we you know we weren't at Harsinai, so at least we don't remember being there. And so, what that means is that we don't have that map inside of our minds. And so, all we can do is be loyal on the outside to whatever maps we happen to have. So, if you have a map of there being a guy in the sky, and then you know, then it's and someone told you, well, you got to believe in that, or that's you know silly to believe in that, or whatever. So then you'll live in a way that is constantly oscillating, like like okay, well. I kind of believe there's a guy in the sky watching me, so I got to do all these commandments. But like, on the other hand, I don't know if I really believe that. So maybe I'll sometimes slack off and not do that so much. Then I'll like hear a muster schmooze about it and be like, oh, maybe I should do it because listen, it seems like that guy's taking it really seriously. So I probably also should. And it's like, that's the kind of oscillation that you get when you don't have a clear map, an internal vision of actual reality that the Torah is trying to give to you. And so another way of saying that is you are simply lacking information you don't have the picture so you don't have the picture so then you can't really live on the outside in a way that is loyal to that internal vision and so the definition of emuna means to live on the outside in a way that is loyal to the internal vision of what reality is that Hashem gave to you and and more deeply therefore loyal to Hashem because Hashem is the one who is essentially manifest reality and he is the totality of being and so and that's again we need to talk more about who Hashem is but keeping it simple for now it the emuna means that you are living in a way that is loyal to that truth and so it, again like it, it's 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 not about there being a, a, having a, a faith in some kind of invisible being that you have to just believe is there that whole idea is this big in terms of, you know, when you compare it to the, to the truth of what we mean when we talk about Hashem and all of, you know, physics and, and the universe and reality and cause and effect and, and what consciousness is. And, like, that's a huge map that we call the Torah. And there's this little idea of, like, do you believe there's an invisible guy in the sky? And it's like, uh, that's taking a concept, emuna you know, loyalty to the truth of that huge map of reality that has tremendously real, profound implications about myself and love and my connection to others and relationship and instead it's converting it to this like very silly childish perspective of like well you have to just have faith there's an invisible guy in the sky and if you don't have that you might burn in hell like why would you like trading this for that is like a very intense trade to make and you got to sort of know what it is that you're that you that you mean when you say the word and so again the word emuna usually when we talk about in terms of hashem we mean emuna ba hashem means loyalty to hashem equals living on the outside in a way that is loyal to the internal vision of the truth of information that we are, that we have and even if you don't know that truth yet but you have it because you have the torah you have all the books you know there's all these books that, that that are filled with this information that if you just learn it you will then know truth in a way that is profound and incredible so that's what we're talking about here when we say amuna and just as an analogy that's how you know all relationships have this 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 dynamic, you know, if I if I'm in a you're in a relationship, you know, you're with your with your spouse, and then you have a situation with them where you know they're not there. Let's say your spouse has to go away for a day, and or your spouse goes to work every day, or or you go to work every day, and your spouse is at home, and so now you're at work, and there's all these other people who are around, and so like let's say you know for you to start flirting with other people at your job, so that is a lack of emuna by your spouse. You are now not having emuna to your spouse. What does that mean? The external way that you are expressing yourself is not loyal to the internal vision of the truth of your situation. Right? In your situation, you have a relationship with somebody else that is exclusive, and so there is no room for you to flirt with other uh, selves. 
And so when you now live in a way on the outside that is out of harmony with that, so now you are lacking emuna dynamics in terms of your relationship with that person. You are now not manifesting loyalty externally to that internal vision of your relationship with that other person. So that is a lack of emuna in your spouse. So if you think about that carefully, you know, just to, to, that, that, that I think really sort of captures the dynamic. Uh, there's a Pasuk in Tehillim which uses the phrase, kol mitzvosecha emuna. Hashem, all of your mitzvot, which usually people translate as commandments, we're not going to explain that too much right now, but mitzvot basically means tools, external tools you can use that express the internal vision of truth that you actually either have or are supposed to have inside of yourself. So living the mitzvot lifestyle on the outside is the emuna lifestyle that is in harmony or expressing of the internal vision of truth of what the Torah is actually about. So I just want to wrap this video up with explaining that last part, the story from Parshas B'Shalach, where it says that Moshe's hands were emunah. So Moshe had his hands up and he was holding up to the sky, and his hands were emunah, and they, they were emunah until the setting of the sun. There's really two different ways you can understand that, and the reason why it's, there's two ways to understand that is because the word emunah there is a little weird, because once you understand the word emunah means loyalty, so then what the text really should be saying is Moshe's hands were loyal to his mission, right? He wanted, they were loyal to him because when your hands don't stay up when you're holding them up and you need them to stay up, so now they're they're betraying you. They're being disloyal. They're going down. So Moshe's hands were emunah. It seems like it should be, it should mean Moshe's hands were loyal until the sunset. And then at that time, that's when, uh, you know, the army beat the enemy and that's when the war was over. So Moshe's hands were loyal until then. The weird thing about that is that the text doesn't really say uh, what it should say. It should really say then that Moshe's hands were probably should say emunim or, or uh, amunim, something along those lines, a plural usage of the word where it says Moshe's hands were plural loyal. But instead it uses this weird singular language, it says Moshe's hands were emunah. Like it's a, it's a funny type of language, a little bit ambiguous. It almost sounds like that there's a different meaning of the word emunah here. So the alternative meaning, which is brought in some of the commentaries and in the Medrash, is that it's not that Moshe's hands were being loyal to, to Moshe and what he wanted. It's that Moshe's hands were actually a source of loyalty for B'nai Israel, for the, for the people. In what sense is that true? The Medrash describes that when Moshe put his hands up, so everybody, so people would, all the our armies would look to Moshe and they would see his hands up. And then what it would do is that would sort of like allow them to more deeply um, externally express themselves in harmony with the internal vision of Hashem. In other words, they would plug themselves in to a, clar a clarity of perspective of reality and see exactly who they were and who the enemy was. They would understand that they are part of Hashem. They would almost be like, it's kind of, if you plug yourself into Hashem in that way, it's like making yourself invincible. You're suddenly plugged into Hashem and you're, the life force of Hashem floods you, which again, this is a much longer discussion of who Hashem is and who you are, but when you plug into Hashem in that way, Hashem's life force floods you. And when you look at the enemy in that example, Amalek, the enemy of, of Amalek, so they're empty people. They're unplugged from Hashem in a way that is profoundly dramatic. So again, that needs its own analysis on its own as well. But if you can just imagine people who are plugged into the source of life fighting a war against those who are completely detached from the source of life, you're looking at, you know, it's like an army of, of fiery beings fighting against, a, a, you know, these shells of people that are essentially just husks. And so when they would plug into that, then they would be able to destroy the enemy in that way. And so the Medrash looks at the language here and says, Vahi Adav Emuna means Vahi Adav, like, Makor Le Emuna a source for emuna for the people to become loyal to Hashem in, a, in, a, in an ever-increasing amount um, throughout the war until the sunset. So that's the other way you could look at the sentence there, but both of them have exactly the same dynamic. Um, it's very clear here that it's referring to this type of process. And I'll also just mention, 
And just to just to, to sort of finish the thought that we started with, which is, you know, saying that it means faith is problematic because, you know, when you read the stories here, I think I think everyone's troubled by the question. I've heard this question a thousand times. People come to me and say, well, look at this text. Here it says, you know, they had emuna, they didn't have emuna. You know, earlier in this in that parsha, parsha b'shalach, vayminu vaHashem, that you know, Bnei Israel had um, emuna and Hashem, uv Moshe Avdo and Moshe his servant. And look, they have emuna. It's like they had faith. Like, of course they had. Like, it's, it's such a weird thing to say. It's like it's the wrong thing to say. Like. They had just had the sea split, you know. This this people, Bnei Israel, just went through the 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 Red Sea at that you know in that in that area, and they, the, it was split for them, and they were able to go through. And it's like that's a huge miracle. And so so then they had faith in God. It's like you know what? Now I believe in God. And then like a little while later, they lose their faith in God, and suddenly it doesn't work anymore. And they get in, they have all these problems. Like how do they lose their faith? It's like that's the wrong word. It's not a question of them believing or not believing in Hashem. It's like not about believing. It's about do you actually, are you living, are, are you, are, first of all, is the internal vision fully fleshed out? Is it operating completely? And B, are you living that out in life? Are you expressing that? Are you living that way? Because the thing about people is that we have the ability to actually know something in our minds, have some idea of it, and still not live in harmony with that idea on the outside. And that is a failure of emuna, but it's not a failure of faith doesn't mean you don't believe in something just because you live that way. People, people constantly deviate from their internal vision, and the trick is to learn how to do that consistently, to not deviate. But in order to understand what, what, you know, just what you are and how you work, you first have to start laying down those terminologies and not use false terminologies that simply confuse. So I hope that was relatively clarifying. Just understand the word Amuna, and looking forward to seeing you in all the next videos.